Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everyone, and I want to welcome you back to Every Other Thursday, our podcast where we talk about all kinds of things, all within the hospitality and food service business. This is episode number 32 of Every Other Thursday, and it's being recorded on the week of February 4th, 2021. And by now, you know I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as usual, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kears. Gentlemen, how are you both doing today? I'm very good. You're doing great? Good, good. Welcome to the month of February, by the way. We made it. Yeah, we made it. Made it through January, February. How about that? <laughs> uh, survived January. So the days are getting a little bit longer and the winter's still here. That's good. Uh, but in this week's episode, really, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this week's guest because I don't really know her, but I think, Greg, you know her a little bit. But we've got a great guest today, folks. Her name is Eileen Garcia. She's got two restaurants. She's Chicago-based, Chicago-area-based. Right, Greg? Right, right, right in the city, the north side. Yeah, yeah, north side, okay. And she's got neighborhood restaurants, two of them. That's really great. I'm going to I'm probably mispronounce it, Buena Terra. Buena Terra. And, yeah, and Hearth and Crust. So I'm really excited to have Eileen join us today. And you're a little bit more familiar with it. Those are both in neighborhoods, right? Right. One, uh, I guess she, I guess the best way to say it is that she was a pioneer in one area called Logan Square before the whole area kind of started gentrifying. She was the first, the first to actually uh, sit down a restaurant in there in that area for a long time, and then expanded to another uh, area north of there. But these are in neighborhoods. These are not, it's not in the loop. It's not in a highly commercialized area. These are neighborhood restaurants. And see, that's, that's what's so great about restaurateurs. They go in early. They're the first ones in, and they kind of make the neighborhood nice. And then everybody else makes a lot of money the, off the fact that someplace like Buena Terra has opened up in this neighborhood that was a little bit sketchy, maybe a little bit. I don't know. And now all of a sudden, this great restaurant comes in, and boom, property values go sky high. So we're very, very excited to have Eileen Garcia join us. And she's going to tell us a little bit about how she's holding up during this pandemic. And uh, her and her husband have these two restaurants. And I think seating capacity in Chicago is still limited, right, Greg? Yes, right now it, it's still at 25%. It's a nightmare. And, and you know, one thing that's really uh, interesting, and I think our, our audience will like about, the, about Eileen, is that everybody you know, knows what's happening to the restaurant industry. It's just really gotten hammered. And uh, she's had uh, the whole list of challenges, not just during this pandemic, but the entire long history of these restaurants. But despite what's gone on, she's very optimistic. And she's actually looking forward to expansion, to growth here, and and, uh, which I think is refreshing and uh, inspiring right now. And And so I think her message it was going to be great to hear. Well, I, I I couldn't be more excited to have Eileen join us. Her and her husband have an interesting story, and I'm looking really looking forward to getting into her with that. But it's also a little bit about their approach to hospitality, and I want to touch base, uh, to touch on that a little bit. And then, then you don't even know this. I've got a little surprise for our, our friend Eileen who's coming on. I'm not even going to tell you guys. So, but first and foremost, we always need to get the general business out of the way. And this week's episode of Every Other Thursday 
brought to you as usual by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. By the way, you can find Tabletop Journal at, strangely enough, tabletopjournal.com. So now with all that business out of the way, let's bring in and give a warm welcome, a warm every other Thursday welcome to Eileen Garcia. Come on in, Eileen. Eileen, welcome to Every Other Thursday. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I uh, understand that you're out in uh, snowy Chicago and you have a couple of great restaurants we want to talk about because I, I think there's a good story here. But Greg, I know you uh, and Eileen uh, are, are a little bit closer and uh, you you had some uh, things that you wanted to start off with with Eileen, right? Well, I think the um, the, the main part, the main background here is, is that we all know that uh, food service operators have been just hammered over the, you know, since the pandemic started. And we've heard lots and lots of sad stories. I came across Eileen here, and who's a, who's a operator here in the Chicago area, and she's gone through her challenges. But there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel and actually some some ideas about expansion going forward. So I think that's a, you know, it's a captivating story. And and with that, I'd like Eileen to start out by telling us a little bit about who she is and a little bit about your operations. Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It is an honor to be in great company like you fellas. So thanks very much. Really appreciate it. A little bit about me. I'm a native Chicagoan. Grew up here. Pretty humble beginnings. My dad was a bus driver and my mom worked at the currency exchange and I was out of three girls. I'm the youngest and I was the first one to graduate college in my house. So just as kind of a means to an end to, to get through some last credits that didn't kind of work out in college, I took an internship at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel here in Chicago. As it turns out, it was a Four Seasons Hotel property, which I had no clue. I We just didn't travel like that. And so that led to my first job out of college, which was working as the opening team for the flagship hotel planned for 57 East 57th Street in Manhattan. And so it was a really incredible opportunity for me to learn everything from the top company in hospitality. I just feel like I'm a lucky girl because I happen to be in the right place in the right time. It's a great training ground, great, unbelievable food and beverage I programs. I mean, you just yeah. can't. And and here it was, I was one of 10 people in the office and we I worked for the human resources as their assistant. And it was a, an incredible opportunity for me to see from the ground up how an incredible organization kind of puts together what they wanted to be their flagship. There was people there that had dreamed their whole lives to do this. And here I was just like lucky enough, the dumb kid who got the job. That said, I loved it, but I missed home. So I came back home and... You know, I thought, well, I kind of wanted to go back to school. And that just plans flew out the window because I met my husband, coincidentally, who worked with my sister. He was the chef at a restaurant here in Chicago. And that just, like the John Lennon song, 
life has a way of making, making plans for you without you knowing it, you know? So I never went back to school. My husband was a chef for a great restaurant uh, company here in Chicago, but he had always planned to make his own place. So we had three little kids and we had a, a newborn and it was the morning of September 11th and bombs hit in New York city. And we had just signed a contract to spend $200,000 of our very own money to open a restaurant. And so, you know, it was a lot of soul searching that day and we decided to move forward at the time the neighborhood that we lived in and where we had planned to open the restaurant was completely underserved. It was, uh, it's a neighborhood called Logan square here in Chicago. And, you know, I mean, we were shaken to the core, but we decided to move forward because people need to eat. And so I just feel like we started out of the fire from the get go. So where do you go from there? You just go up. And over time, over time, Bonaterra became the cheers of the neighborhood. I was dubbed the mayor. I kissed the babies. I welcome everybody in. We, you know, I have sanctified, I feel like many of the occasions, uh, first dates, I've met so many people who would become husbands and wives. And I have been on the ground floor of, of watching a community grow and, it's been an incredible experience for me. Uh, and we at Bonaterra have been there, you know, looking back our 19 years this April. Congratulations. So yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, just to give you a little perspective, our youngest is a uh, turn 19 in September. His birthday is September 7th of 2001. So he was seven months old when we opened up Bonaterra. And so now he's a freshman in college. So, wow. yeah. So, you know, we've seen a lot of things change. I mean, we were the only game in town, if you will, for in Logan Square for a number of years. And then as kind of the, the neighborhood started heating up as, as the place to open up restaurants, we had to share. And so then we had to share a little bit more. And then we had to share a little bit more. You lose a couple diners a week, it, it adds up to real money by the end of the year. So it, you know, with that and, and kind of the recession that hit in 2007, we have had our, our share ups, ups and downs for sure. We do continue to be the place to go in the neighborhood, uh, but we always had kind of an eye on, uh, on expanding and maybe we always wanted to have pizza at some point in time, but Bonaterra just the way that the kitchen is laid out and we're on the ground floor of a three-story building, putting the black iron in for that, for a pizza oven just didn't make sense. So we found a building uh, about five years ago and bought it. So that's where we're at right now. We have two locations. We are, you know, kind of holding steady and then we got the pandemic. So that's kind of where we're at now. We are basically treading water. What's the name of your other location? So our other location is in a neighborhood that I actually grew up in. As the kids got older, we needed a yard and, and Logan Square just wasn't where it's at. It's hip and fun, but the lots are small and we just didn't have space for our kids. So I had dreamed, manifested, I really believe that I would get to be able to buy my childhood home back. And that's exactly what happened. You bought back the home you grew up in? Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
I've heard of that. How weird is that, though? I mean, I, has, I, I mean, I, I forget all this the the restaurant story stuff. Just buying your own home and moving back. I mean, is that list, that's got to be different. I had dreamed about all the things that I would do, and you know, uh, we had a uh, two flat in Logan Square, and and then we were looking for a single family home. I had dreamed about all the things I wanted, and I used kind of my old childhood home as the the platform in which I would kind of dream my my, my fantasy home. Exactly. Yeah. The kind of platform, yeah. right? Yeah. So we had looked and looked and looked. And, you know, here at the time in Chicago, uh, single family homes started at $530,000. Yeah. Yeah. And they just went up 600, 700, 800. We looked at a house for 850 with wow. a leaky basement. Of and course. it just, oh, it was just, it was like, slogging through the basement for a showing. It just was not going to happen for me. Um, so coincidentally, one of our customers, our guests had said, who happened to live across the street from on Monticello, my block, said, hey, you know, they're empty nesters. Why don't you just reach out to them? And so that's what I did. I mean, I wrote the most honey drippingest kind of sentimental, oh. heartstring grabbing kind anything of anything to uh, get that price down. <laughs> well, anything just to get it, you know, just to see if I could get it. And so he sold it. Two weeks later, he said yes, and we were on the road to buying the house back. And wow. when we got it, he had kept feral cats in the back porch, and they didn't do one thing to update the home. So, look very familiar. Yeah, well, we didn't feel bad when the sledgehammer swung and and everything was cleaned Demo out, and cleared out exactly. Um, it was the greatest thing to watch the chimney get smacked from the bottom and it's <laughs> this mountain of like uh, clouds of smoke. But so that was it was a, a dream come true. And but over here in Irving Park, it is uh, on what we call the Blue Line here in Chicago. It's a our train line out to O'Hare, and it's the most convenient way to travel into town from O'Hare. And there's a lot of development on the blue line. So Logan Square is at the Logan Square stop. I mean, Bonaterra is at the Logan Square stop. And as you get north, Addison, which is where we're at, or between Addison and Irving Park, is, you know, a couple steps up from, from Bonaterra. So it made sense that we'd be in the neighborhood and we happen to find a single story building with a flat roof so that we could make our pizzeria. And so... We bought a building out of foreclosure for $85,000. What's the key on the flat roof, if I can ask? Well, I think it was just so that we could build the chimney, all the mechanicals for the, for the pizza yep. oven. So okay. it just made, it, made the job a little bit easier. But then again, if anybody tells you they have a cheap building to sell you, don't believe it's cheap because there was it looks, tons it looks of money cheap because the price is low. Right, right. The, yeah, the money right. that it took to kind of update it was crazy. To me, you've just outlined the, the quintessential successful restaurant tour story because in each case, you have two restaurants. Yes. You have Buena Terra. Mm -hmm. That's the neighborhood you moved into coming back from New York great neighborhood and everything and it built and the neighborhood built up around you probably in large part because of you and then secondly you're back in your own neighborhood where you grew up and you've opened another restaurant hearth mm -hmm. and crust mm -hmm. and see to me and i've never been a restaurateur i've been a supplier to restaurants but to me it's all restaurateurs are all about welcoming people serving others bringing communities together and i and from everything that greg's told me and and some of the things i've read that's what you do at both places 
And it's no surprise after hearing you describe this saga from uh, probably September 7th of 2001, right before yes. uh, September 11th. September 7th was when your son was born. Yeah. And, and that whole saga from then to now has been about you moving into communities, building them up again, mm-hmm. and welcoming others into your restaurant. How cool is that? It's very cool. But I'm feel uncomfortable when I kind of have a see it, hear it framed like that. I mean, I guess always what I end up doing is opening businesses. In order to get Hearth and Crest running, I had we had to open up a, our own construction firm so we could control costs. So I got I opened up our own construction corporation. We um, GC'd the entire project. Behind being a restaurateur, if you're not savvy at paving and trailblazing your own way, you're just never going to survive. You just have to be able to think outside the box. It's the non-sexy details. Yes. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm a restaurateur. That sounds pretty sexy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're serving people. And you're, hey, come on yeah. in. Have a glass of wine. Yeah. Nobody saw you as a general contractor, though, building for the sure. building. So speaking about survival, how has the last year been for you? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, oh, my God, Greg. Greg you're, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 Debbie Downer kind of. No, Dad, no, no. Here, first of all, owning two restaurants is is a lot of work, and my second shift starts when I start working at the restaurant. So I get up in the morning and do all the paperwork and all the emails and all all the stuff that has to be done before we open for business, and then I start my shift. So a lot of times, you know, we our model is to try and keep labor lean, number one, but. You know, something I took away from my experience with the Four Seasons is quality and consistency and guest experience and and offering the very, very, very best that you have. And so that's kind of always been the guiding principles that we conduct our business by. Our guest and their experience and what we give them is what you know, sets a tone in our business. So in order to get, offer the best quality, my husband and I actively work our business. And so sometimes he works cooking on the line and I for sure work as a bartender or a host, or there has been an odd moment where I had to wash dishes. So it's not glamorous. So back to this year, there's been a lot of soul searching about what do we do? What's the best thing to do for our business, for our family moving forward? Do we close Bonaterra? I mean, we don't own it, you know, do we consolidate? And that definitely was kind of very, very, very much considered this year. In fact, we talked to attorneys, we talked to, I talked to a sign guy about putting a new sign up at Hearth and Crest. And, and, and the reality is, is that we're just not ready to close Bonaterra. It still has life. There's still something left. I'm sure the community at Logan Square really appreciates that. Well, I hope so. You know, I try not to make it too e- look too easy. But then again, the hospitality person in me says, I, what people do when they come into my business is they want to escape. And that's my job to make sure that they enjoy themselves. And to offer them something is, I'll cook for them. Let me take care of you. And that's where... You know, I will always be how I always sit in my business is we want to take care of you. And the reason you could have gone to a hundred different restaurants in Logan Square or in Chicago, we're a great, great restaurant town. So there's uh, lots of restaurants that they could have chosen and they chose me. So 
while the the latest trend of the aloof server who kind of strives to be as mean as possible to you, that's not kind of how we do it. You know, we don't strive to have a Michelin star. We want you to just come every day. We want to be your special occasion, but we want to also be the place where you come and have a drink at the bar and read your book. We're looking for the everyday customer and we want people to feel like not intimidated to come and spend their money with us. What capacity are you able to serve at now? Right now we're at 25%. You're just going able to go back inside because you haven't been able to go inside for a while, have you? Since Halloween. At all. Everything outside in Chicago, yeah. December. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm a 50 year old lady. I don't eat outside. So I, <laughs> right, okay. I got all bundled up. I'm, I'm trying to eat my. You know, I'm you know, still in I keep trying to tell my wife, don't throw me outside. I can't go out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, no. Okay, so pandemic year, it's been tough. We'll just be honest. But we, you know, we've gone through this whole kind of um, circle. It's been a circle. We start at the top, we're going to go get through, oh no, it looks kind of crappy and doesn't seem like it's going to work. And then here we are kind of rounding the three quarters side of the circle and it's starting to, we're starting to see the sun. So if that's the case, speaking to Greg's comment about expansion and, and moving forward, we decided since Bonaterra is not done, our girl needs a makeover. So since we're not closing and we got a second PPP, we're considering, you know, putting money towards, well, we're not considering, we're going to be giving her a tidy up, a little, a little facelift. You know, I feel like she's been on the streets for 19 years and she needs to have her, uh, have a little cosmetic tune up. But that in itself is, is very unusual because most people are, I suspect uh, in your position are looking at how can I reduce cost and still get revenue coming in? And what you're talking about is reinvesting and uh, creating an even better experience. And when I, you know, when I hear you describe the, the, your experience with the Four Seasons organization, um, it doesn't surprise me to hear you talk about quality, consistency, and guest experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. those things and always giving the best that you can, that you can. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are the those are the things that, as a guest or even as a supplier to restaurants, but also as a guest of restaurants, you, you're looking for that great, warm feeling, that comfort level. Those are the restaurants to me that have unbelievable staying power because everybody wants to go where it's where the, where you're welcomed and sure. you know the food is good and it is a good vibe and 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 it it is what the hospitality business is all about and that really is. That comes right out of the Four Seasons Handbook, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I tell my kids that they won't follow us into the hospitality business. Our, our oldest is a computer programmer, and our daughter is uh, graduating this year from Purdue with a degree in public health, of all things. Our youngest is a freshman at DePaul, and he is thinking about diplomatic service for the government. But I always tell them, don't ever work for a company that isn't the best company at what it does, at what you're doing. Don't settle for working for just the middle company. Get a job at the best company because it sets the tone of your entire career. You learn things and practices at companies like that that will basically tattoo success onto you. So that's how I feel. I was blessed and I met so many incredible people from guests to uh, fellow employees in my career. And and just in general, I, I feel like that that stuck with us. But 
That said, we're not a five-star, five-diamond kind of restaurant. However, we do hold those same ideals. And one of the phrases that people say that this guy told me one time, he said, you know, you come to Bonaterra for the food and you leave as a friend. And I thought, okay, I'll steal it. I like it. Eileen, we're going to take a break here in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, um, I want to make, and this may be a surprise to you. I don't know. Maybe it embarrass you a little bit, but on your website, you have a link mm-hmm. and I'm a pretty curious guy. Sure. And, and if I say the name caribou mustard, does that mean something to you? Caribou no. mustard. You have a link on your site that goes to a Reddit story. Yes. I'm just gonna, I'm not going to go down through it because it looks like you wrote it actually, or somebody who's dearly in love with you wrote it. I haven't. I, I'm just kidding about that part. But this <laughs> is one of the most phenomenal endorsements I've ever read of any restaurant ever. And I want to tell you that, that I'm just going to paraphrase. This is a nobody writes post. This when I printed this out. It's two and a half pages, this lady mm-hmm. wrote. And you saved her life. Actually, you created her life, first of all. And then you say, uh, by uh, giving her a tip on a job interview, and yeah. I'm sure it was you after yeah. after seeing her. And she went and got the job, and she remembered it all through the interview, and she got the job. It was cool. So she attributes that to your conversation with her. Secondly, you came back at another night, and she had problems. Her husband was, in, uh, I think, in ER or whatever, mm-hmm. and she needed a glass of wine. And you, and you came, and here's her, these are her words. She didn't know me. She was running a business, yet she held my baby for 30 minutes so I could mm-hmm. just breathe. If she hadn't changed my life before then, she did then. She's not over with you yet. She, she <laughs> continues on. She continues on. This is unbelievable. And, and I hope you know her well now. But she flashed forward to her third experience where you saved her. She's a woman uh, who had valeted her car and she had no money, found realized she had no money to get it out of valet. So you gave her $10 to pay the valet and so that she could take her toddler to the, I think, to the ER because he dislocated his elbow. Mm-hmm. Listen, this is what community and hospitality is all about. No wonder mm-hmm. you're hugely successful in Chicago. Thank you. You'd yeah, be, you'd, be, you'd be successful anywhere. Well, thanks. It kind of, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. And she, I didn't realize that that story had come out on Reddit until a friend of my son had sent it to my son and said, Hey, I saw this about your mom on Reddit and this sent it to me. Pages, yeah. I saw it two years later after it was, after it came out. And it is a really, really, really lovely, lovely thing that that lady wrote. I have to ask the question. Do you know her now? I do not. And you know what? The, the thing is, is we <laughs> did, I didn't even realize that she had written it until two years later. However, wow. in the article, she says that maybe I don't remember her, but I do. I remember every single interaction. Yeah, and yeah. I do hold babies sometimes, you know. 30 minutes you held the baby. It wasn't yeah, like you just held it while she could, you know, get her coat. I mean, I had two kids with colic. I can stand a crying baby, you know. Yeah. Because I I didn't end up going to jail for killing a kid, so I can pretty much manage anything. You know? She quoted you. Here's what you said. I'm a mom. I've held so many babies. I've got this. The, the baby immediately stopped crying. She said to me, drink a glass of wine, enjoy your dinner. Let me help you. Eileen, we're coming, we're coming to the restaurant. You're going to sit in the booth at the table with us because we're just going to start whining and you need to save us. <laughs> no, you're going to have to hold Jay. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to cradle Jay. We're going to come back. This is fabulous. We've, we've made a great new friend here, uh, Eileen Garcia, and she has two fabulous restaurants. I, I don't know the food, but I can tell you the hospitality will be outstanding. I'm sure the food will be too. She, in Chicago, you've got to go to them. It's uh, Buena Terra and 
What is the other one? Hearth and Hearth Crust. And I want to hear about the plans going forward for both those restaurants <laughs> and how you're going to be hugely successful. How do you top that letter, though? You got to get, well, that's unbelievable. We'll be right back with more with Eileen Garcia. <laughs> This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to TabletopJournalNewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back here again with Eileen Garcia, and she is the owner and general contractor for Hearth and Crust <laughs> Restaurant and Chicago and Buena Terra. And her story is incredible. It's a story of unbelievable resolve, grittiness, starting with high quality, starting with consistency, and really focusing in on the guest experience. And if you didn't catch it right before the break, you got to go to, the, I think it's on the Buena Terra site where I found it, is a testimonial talking about the kind of hospitality that they serve at, up at her restaurant. Restaurants. Eileen, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Okay, um, we want to go into where you, the Hearth and Crust. When did that actually open? We opened our doors uh, July fifth of twenty seventeen. We had about uh, three years of construction, which kind of happened in segments. The first segment was just first part of the building process was just getting the building habitable for humans. Um, basically, when we bought it, there was no floors. There was just floor joists. So that was just to give you an idea of where we were at. Yeah. So much had to be added. Uh, There was a hole in the roof. There was a dirt floor in the back. So we did every aspect of construction. So we, we did roofs and, you know, brick facade on the front and brick facade on the back, all kinds of stuff. So after the first phase was done, then really what started was kind of the decor and the finishes that make Hearth and Crust look the way it does right now. And, you know, obviously all the legal obligations that you have to do for spacing and placing and things like that. So, And you did, did you do the same thing with uh, Buena Terra back in 2011? About 2001, I'm sorry. Yeah. So back then, you know, Chicago tends to be a little bit heavy handed with the way that they view their dealings with business. I I feel like they treat business owners like we're petulant children and they will correct us. And (laughs) it's kind of been that way for a while. And and with Rahm Emanuel, it got a lot better. Uh, However, there's still improvements that need to be made. For example, So the guy that hung our sign on Hearth and Crust, we did all the measurements and he applied for the permit for our sign. Um, You have to apply for to hang it and you have to apply for the permit sign. And so he applied for the hanging of the permit and those take about two years to be accepted. So he's, he said, you know, the building inspectors, whatever, as long as you have the permit kind of applied for, it's no big deal. Literally like a year and a half later, I get a call or I get some uh, correspondence from the city that I have an illegal sign. They pinched the guy. He had nine signs up in the process of waiting for permits. And he had to take care of nine signs. He, I'm sure he was put out of business almost, you know. 
So it's, it's a travesty because it wasn't like he was unprofessional. It wasn't like everything wasn't done the way it should have been, but just that it takes almost two years to get a sign up to hang a sign. This can be another, actually, another way for a pizza. (laughs) This could be another, uh, actually another show, but I, I personally know, operator after operator after operator one guy building out right now that mm-hmm. it's just and, and i understand that the premise of it at all is that they want to protect the community and make sure standards are safe Clearly. but but Who doesn't you know without going on to too much detail it's just it's just ridiculous and if somebody wants to read a good story about that grant ockett's the famous chef and owner of alinea he uh, his autobiography uh that he wrote with his partner Nick Kikonis, uh, if you read that, they talk about what it took to open that place in Chicago. It's, it's, it's an amazing story. Yeah, it's a, Chicago is such a fabulous restaurant city. You think, geez, it, it's got to be, they really cater, bend over backwards for restaurants. But that's not the case at all. Not at all. Not at all. And, and really you have to be pretty tenacious in order to kind of get, get stuff yeah. done. There's a, not, you not know. Not for the faint of heart. No, it, it really isn't. And that's why for anybody who is ever thinking about opening a restaurant, I always tell them, just lay down until that feeling goes away. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't, don't take it from somebody who's like got scars. You have to be able to not only cook, you have to be able to solve problems. You have to be creative about things. And closing the circle takes so much more than cooking. And you have to ask nice that's the thing you have to, the city has these, you know, people in levers of power, like that control the levers of power that, that you have to ask with hat in hand and the smile on your face for the opportunity to pay taxes. So, you know, it, <laughs> that's like Jay's business. Jay is in the glassware business. And, and when you want to buy his glassware, you have to go to Jay with hat in hand and we grovel a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have to really be nice to him and stuff. And sometimes sure, he may tell sure. you, sometimes he may not. I don't know. Sure. Oh, no, God, I can't take it. I have to write the paper. Oh, stop it. <laughs> but you bring up a great point, though, because the food service business in general, it's got to be a business that comes from within you, I think, because with the idea of serving others, because nobody in their right mind would take the abuse and work as hard as the people in food service do and and be and, and continue to be as passionate as they are. I mean, you mentioned earlier yeah. in segment one about you got tired of uh, trying to go to everybody else. So you became the general contractor. For yeah. the new restaurant. I'm like, how crazy an idea is that? But I still say the restaurant people, the food service and the hospitality people, most resourceful, most creative, most innovative. They can always find a workaround. But you got to be a hustler. You just got to yeah. be a hustler out there. And especially you know? today. I mean, uh, I, I can't think of any industry. And, and we, we're we listening to all over the world. We, we follow uh, markets all over the world and with mm-hmm. uh, what we do. I mm-hmm. can't think of any industry on the planet who's been as uh, hit as hard as the hospitality, the restaurant food service business has during the pandemic. So it's in the last nine or 10 months, it's just been devastated. Yeah. And, and in some cases it's still going on. I mean, uh, so you, you have what, 25% or 50% did you say? In Chicago 25. Now? 25. Okay. In, in some countries it's zero. 
which yeah. even makes your story even more compelling that here in coming out of this this quagmire you're looking positively towards the future and actually and um and uh, remodeling and expanding so you know good for you yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I'm maybe I'm just a dummy. Maybe I'm just dumb. <laughs> we, we wanted to talk to you, Eileen, about this after, after we got done the recording. We wanted to have a, yeah. have a little side session, uh, an intervention or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, a therapy didn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the guest looks for places that are clean and nice and what's the newest place. So we kind of, in order to be topical and kind of find a new customers, there are new customers out there. We have to do this. It's just, we got to do it. And to be honest with you, painting and a freshen up kind of the plan that we have is one of the cheapest, easiest refreshes that you can do anywhere in design. Um, and this is for Buena Terra, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And Logan Square. How much of your customer base is regular? Does it come two, three times a week when when it's possible to do that? Well, Logan Square is a kind of a, a very um, transient neighborhood. To give you an idea, Logan Square used to be kind of a dangerous place to be. Uh, when I was a kid, it wasn't odd if there was a car that was broken down right on the middle of the boulevard. And it, my dad used to joke that the Logan Square movie theater had a bring your baby night. It was a neighborhood in the in flux for many years. It and was always so, a neighborhood that was always going to come back. It was it always going to pop. Yes, it was yeah, always coming. For years and years and years. Yes, <laughs> like 25 years, people were like, oh, Logan Square is the next place. And so we happened to live kind of on the edge of Logan Square. My husband had a building there, and, and it really was a place that there was opportunity for people to, for us to open a restaurant. I mean, there was pizza places and there was taco shops, but there was no place where you could go have a nice glass of wine, nice piece of fish, where you didn't have to get in your car and go out of the neighborhood and you could have a date or you could bring your parents or you could, the options were endless for people to be able to find ways to get out and, and enjoy themselves at Bonaterra. So when we found the storefront, it was Again, we seem to find these rundown places. Geez, Bonaterra needed about $200,000 worth of work, and we had hired the building owner's son to do the construction. And unfortunately, he was slow. And so we had to bring our own little crew in there. And, and so we were able to, from the time that we signed the, the lease and the construction contract on uh, the 9th of September, my husband was literally late to pick me up with, with our youngest from the hospital because he was in the midst of signing a contract for it to, so September all the way to April, which we felt was a long time, but we got it. We did it. He was working for a, uh, a restaurant group here in Chicago called Stefani restaurants. Uh, Phil Stefani is the owner and he was a great, a great experience for my husband. And I think a very mutually like uh, they were upset to see him go, but w wished him success. They were great. But he had left the 31st of December that year. And so we had four months of preparing to open Bonaterra. And when we opened the doors, I had just paid the mortgage. I had a thousand dollars in our checking account and we crossed our fingers and just said, let's go. You know, we had three little kids and 
You know? and, and, and in that interim time from the time that your husband left his other job to the time you opened, the money was just raining in, coming in. Every time you opened the mailbox, <laughs> there were big checks in there and lots of bags of cash. No. Uh, oh, there wasn't? Oh, I'm so much stunned. Uh, I mean, I'm lucky. Just the, I'm just not that lucky, you know. No, it was probably just the opposite. Uh, be, yeah. and, and again, that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that there's so much upfront money. Yeah, with the restaurant to get just to get the doors open, and then God bless you if you you got to get some guests in there to spend some money with you. Yeah, so I, I think the restaurant business uh, a lot of people don't understand that. Look, just to get the first grocery order, you know, the salt, the ketchup, the mustard, the vinegar, all the garlic and the onions and the lettuce. Glassware, right? Uh, Forget James about Glassware. it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was ten grand just to bring the first food order into the house just to stock everything. So that alone, you're just, it's just something that most people don't think about. You know, they, they think, Oh, Eileen, well, I'm curious, I'm curious because of your background with, you know, in hospitality, did you guys do a very formal business plan or was it more seat of the pants that this is going to work? Or, I mean, did you break (laughs) it down or did you break it down to like, we have to serve this many meals at this margin, you know? Well, my husband is actually really pretty excellent at that. He, when he came on and I, I, I hope this doesn't step on anybody's toes, but when he came on at, uh, with Phil Stefani's restaurant company, he introduced them to food costing and what it takes and proper inventories and things like that. And so he's on top of being a great, great chef, uh, great palate. Uh, he's very creative, but he's also an incredible, uh, kitchen manager. And so he always, he's always managed that. And so our food cost is always at 30%. And because he can butcher any meat and cut any fish and make any sauce, we control all of our costs that way. We make everything. If we could milk a cow and make the butter, we'd do that too. But we make every sauce, every single fish that comes into the house is butchered. Everything that we, we get hand cut our steaks and everything. So that minimizes hands on our food products, you know, hands it goes through. And it also gives us control over what we, our portions are. And so that's really, he's been the one for every call that people say that I'm the mayor of Bonaterra. He's, he's really like the, the man behind the curtain. You know, he's really great where we make a good pair. Well, let's get his name, let's get his name out there. Che- Chepe, right? Chepe Garcia. His given name is Jose Garcia, but everybody in the business knows him as Chepe. So it's C H E P E Chepe. And, okay. uh, and he is, a. Uh, holds court at the bar. So what he'll do is he'll set up a lot of the stuff in the daytime. And then, you know, our guys in the kitchen to kind of take over for the shift. But at Bonaterra pre-pandemic, he would hold court at, at Bonaterra bar and, and, you know, from bookies that come in and want to talk about baseball with him, which he, that happens. What's a bookie? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I know, I don't know what, I not know what that is. Next break. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he holds court at the bar and, and, you know, people talk about wines from Italy. My husband spends a lot of time traveling in Italy, meeting winemakers and going to wineries. And so that's a whole other conversation. Where did he get his training? Did he get his training formally at a school or did he work just on, on the job? Well, so he emigrated from Mexico when he was almost 17 years old and, and his parents are dairy farmers. So they have oh. kind of a large spread back home. 
And he grew up in the dairy business, but they also had a butcher shop and they grew a lot of the the food, food for the cattle and for their house. His mom oh. kept chickens. And so they had a very a working farm that they lived off of. And so he came here because he wanted to get away from the hard work. Can you imagine restaurant <laughs> business, you know? Yeah. Um, and he started, you know, in the business as uh, not really cooking until probably about five or six years in. And then he um, ended up at places like Yvette here in Chicago and Toulouse in La Piroquette. And he worked a little bit for Ambria, which was a lettuce restaurant back in the day. It was, yeah, he worked with John Bonchet here in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. He survived, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's his really his style is really French in in its training from the sauce beginnings to uh, stocks. And we make our own veal demi-glace and we make our own stock every day and, and all the kind of sauce made in the pan kind of stuff that we do. And that's where he learned food costing and inventorying. And because French cooking uses so many fine products that you have to be if you want to make money, you have to be aware of measurements and, and keeping cost in in line no waste you can't waste it no can't waste it so we save everything every you know bit of carrot top and onion skin goes into a stock the next day wow that's great eileen um question back on some of the regulations and the protocols now and in during the pandemic in the city of chicago obviously there's a lot of laws a lot of regulations and and a lot of times they've been loosened up things like cocktails to go i don't think chicago was doing cocktails to go before and i think they they may be now are they doing it now think things they are doing it now Mm -hmm. do you see a lot of that those regulations that were have been loosened up for under covid do you see them continuing post-covid I think if we were able to open up all the way from close to 100%, I think the city might kind of say, okay, we're done with that. Let's just put everything away. And, you know, now we're back to like our, you know, regular old business and what we used to do. You know, the way that I see it, recovery is not going to be, we just open up to 100% and that's going to be that. Uh, You know, it's not going to happen that way. And with the second PPP loan that we got, we're going to have to sip out of that for a while simply because, you know, if there's another close up or whatever happens, you know, we don't really know. So I don't expect business to actually come back to real business until maybe next year. Your restaurants don't sound like to me like they're driven, though, by convention business or downtown business Not or the hotels being full or not. No. They're really neighborhood restaurants, really places yeah. where you can go and have have some fun For and sure. enjoy. For sure. So, so that's a help, and that's, I guess. That's why it's a good and it's a bad thing. So, like, downtown, decimated. Yeah, yeah. The hotels aren't even open, a lot of them. Yeah, no, no. For, exactly. Uh, friends of ours... Well, my, my daughter, because she, she wasn't getting enough hours with me <laughs> when she needed to make money over the summer when she was in from school. She would work at a place downtown on Michigan Avenue called The Gage, and they were busy, busy, busy all the time. Great lunch business, great, great dinner business, and they're right in front of Millennium Park. And great restaurant, yeah. It's a great restaurant. They do a great job there, and they have a great sense of kind of quality and, and, and guest interaction. They're great. But what do they do? No conventions, no tourism. There's just nothing. It's gone, done. So is the Purple Pig still open up on Michigan? You know, I don't know if it is or not. I it may have closed. It's kind of in an odd spot over there. It's a tough location but, right now. Yeah, it's a tough but, location. Yeah. But do I see it? Uh, yeah, I know that they'll. I 
in my heart, I know that they will continue with the cocktails and, you know, patios, loose kind of restrictions on patios. And I hope that, you know, if Mayor Lightfoot, if she wants to be more than a one-term mayor, she's going to have to kind of, kind of get used to not having it her way all the time. I just feel, and I hate to say it, but I feel like it's her way or the highway, and that's just yeah. going to have to change. Well, I'm down. I'm down in Florida, the friend's house now, and we, we've been going out every night to happy hour and stuff. And they're open 100 percent down here. Now everybody's following the rules. Hands are getting washed. The owners sure. are. I mean, when you get up from wherever you're sitting, it's clean. And uh-huh. you know, I don't know if they're. I don't think their their infectious rate is any worse than anybody else's. But they are open 100. percent Sure. But three of my, three of my biggest customers in Chicago are struggling. We do all the glass at the Capitol Grill. Ruth, Chris, mm-hmm. and Smith, and Linsky. Mm-hmm. And sure. those are all, I mean, a lot of, lot of uh, convention business there. And, you know. Yeah, forget about it. I mean, what is that? Chicago Cuts on the River is a, a great steakhouse. And they just, as far as I know, they're shut until March. They just decided not even worth it. A, a good number of the downtown Michigan Ave, Streeterville, that area, those hotels are closed until the end of March, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we've been just nationally and uh, we've been thinking that we're talking, we'll see maybe some tangible progress towards opening again, barring no other th- things happening sometime late second quarter into the third quarter. Uh-huh. And it's really going to, it's really going to take a good three, four, five, six months for people to sort of feel their legs again and get back open. Sure. It's not going to be easy for restaurateurs who've been, shut down in some cases totally to all of a sudden just as you say throw open the doors and let's go it doesn't work like that well look there's a lot of kind of factors that go into this uh first off no restaurant manages at 50 percent no restaurant can make the make the money they need to make at 75 percent and i mean it's a hard at 100 percent sometimes we're not making money at 25 percent and even though we have care out and delivery and that's helped a lot uh, we couldn't have survived if we didn't have loans to, to shore us up. Can you break even at 50? I don't know if I can. I mean, here's the thing. The Bonaterra model is a little bit, it's old timey. And so while, you know, that's just the reality of it, we still serve bread at the table. So there's labor that is kind of inherent in that in that model of restauranting that I need a busboy, you know, so I got to pay him. And I let all my busboys go once kind of the pandemic hit. And I getting those people to come back to work is really hard because they're on unemployment right now. So how do I compete with unemployment when they can just stay home and make the same or more? It's going to be tough. It's There's going to be a lot of kind of changes that we as business owners are going to have to make or just kind of jettison. There's going to have to be changes that the guest has to kind of get used to as well that we just can't do everything anymore. We can't just give everything away anymore just because it costs so much money now. I think it's going to be, there's a, there's a lot of change. I think there's a lot of pent up demand. So when it, sure. the, when the reopening does come, I think there's going to be this rush, but if people don't feel safe, mm-hmm. then, then they will either either turn around and leave or they just won't come back. I think it's going to be uh, a lot of people's lifestyle has changed too. People have learned to entertain in their homes. So, so I think I'm excited actually, because I think 
there's going to be for the restaurateurs who do open back up. I think it's going to be a, a fresh new look. I love to hear the the uh, renovations going on at Buena Terra, and it's going to be different menus. And I think people are ready for pared down menus and 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 really great delicious food. And most of all, warm hospitality. I really, I really think that's been missed because they, uh, we had Nancy Cruz, who's a uh, restaurant consultant on here, uh, sure. with us. For, I follow uh, her on LinkedIn. Yeah, she's awesome. But yeah. she quoted a, uh, I think it was Data Essentials study that said mm -hmm. the two things people want to do most when they, when the pandemic is over, is to hug a family member, a close friend, and go for to sure. a restaurant and eat out. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, your restaurants sound like I can do both. I can eat a, get, get a great meal and I can get maybe a hug I once in a while. I can't wait to hug people. I can't yeah. wait to hold, hold great. babies and hug okay. people. And, you know. Speaking of hugging people, I've got a personal question I want to ask you. Okay. On your site, I read <laughs> with your husband, you fell in love with his food and him, then him in that order. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Why in that order? Why wouldn't uh, oh, okay? Well, let me just tell chipping. you. <laughs> I know. Um, he's really delightful, he's a really delightful person, but his food is so. Well, wait I'll a second, you. wait a second. You're pretty damn delightful. You got two delightful <laughs> people in your house. <laughs> can you, can you believe it? House. It's just, it's just almost uncomfortable to be around us. <laughs> oh, it's delightful. <laughs> so, you know, I was here, I was visiting my sister at the time, I was home to go to a wedding and I was this fancy New York girl and Chicago was just a one horse town. And I was just daining them with my presence because I was a New Yorker now. And I met my sister, she was ending her shift and here she has is just this kind of pedestrian bowl of pasta. She's just having a, a capellini pasta, an angel hair pasta with tomato sauce. And I took one look at it and I said, oh, well, so she said, are you hungry? You want to have a bite of it? And I'm like, well, mm, yeah, I guess I'll just, I'll just have a little bit just to be social, you know? <laughs> and it was the most delicious pasta I ever had in my life. Who the hell made this pasta? <laughs> I was like, what? And then I thought, this is the next trend in, in food. It's going back to simplicity, just simple stuff. You know, at the time it was David Burke was building these like castles on the plate for you and salmon pastrami. It was just crazy, you know, it was architectural. And then I had this and I had like this epiphany, like maybe I'm, I'm just going to be telling people, you know, maybe I am the one who is going to show people, you know, or maybe it's just me. I'm going to show people that the next trend in food is just this natural kind of get back to basics. And I thought if his pasta is good here, maybe I'm missing something in New York city. Well, I'll go back home and see what I can find. And you know what? No, never. I never found anything that was as good. And I really, really, really fell in love with his style of cooking. And then I met him and well, he's, it's pretty spectacular. So there you go. He's, de he's delightful. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Speaking Rumor of delightful, this conversation has been very, very delightful. And uh, but before you. we go, can you give our listeners the websites to Buena Terra and to Hearth and Crust so they can uh, visit them? 
and also, Dave, I got to give my two cents on something too, but I'll let her go first. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead with it. Give her the website so that uh, our our listeners can go to them, and and the ones in Chicago can order takeout, and the ones who aren't in Chicago, when the restaurant show comes around, they can come visit your restaurants. Absolutely. Hey, um, come down to Bonaterra in Logan Square. We've been there for almost 19 years now. Check us out at www.bona-terra.com. That's B-U-O-N-A-T-E-R-R-A.com. Will the rental be done by uh, done by May? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We're okay. actually hoping to be complete by first week in March. And Hearth and Crust? Hearth and Crust is and Crust.com, H-E-A-R-T-H-A-N-D-C-R-U-S-T.com in Irving Park. Awesome. So, so my two cents was about your renovation. You know, I don't, and this is probably another episode, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how many places that I've grown up with or through my professional uh, food service career have loved, and then they did the renovation and, uh, you know, to just tidy it up. And somehow it just wasn't the same, the same anymore. So you got to keep some of the old. I know. Look at Mr. Greg giving advice on the Renos. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I agree. And thankfully, the chef and all the people will be the same. So our servers and most of our employees in the back in the kitchen have been with us for 19 years. Wow. So. Okay. Two of them started as busboys. Um, wow. One being my nephew started laying, helping my husband lay floor when he was 14 years old. And now he's a grown man with two kids. So we have uh, consistency in our staff too. So I think that that will be a very comforting feeling like a weighted blanket on them. Yes, yes, yes. It, it's just going to be clean and nice and a little bit updated. Here's a sneak kind of peek that I'll let you in on though. We are going to say goodbye to the mural. There's a great big mural in in the restaurant and that's going no, to No, not the mural. Sent <laughs> sent on. Sent on to its home. Yes, somewhere else. Yes. Hey, that's why they you call it a renovation. You heard it here first, folks. That's right. <laughs> Eileen, it's been a real pleasure talking with you and learning more about the uh, resiliency and the, the real positivity that you've got going on in both your restaurants there in Chicago. And we wish you all Thanks. the best. And we can't wait to get back so we can travel and come visit you in person. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I hope that there's many bottles of wine included in that, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We hold court at bars once in a while. The only difference is we usually get Ooh. asked to leave. We usually get asked to leave. <laughs> yeah. We hold well, court in courts. We like that. You can come on down anytime. There's plenty. There's only seven seats at the bar, though, at Bonaterra, and so that it's a highly coveted place. You may have to bring, like, a sharp stick in order to get into the seat there. <laughs> we'll just bring there, our you know? friend Louis. Louis, Louis <laughs> the Griff will come, too. <laughs> Eileen, thank you so much. It's been great having Thanks you. Thanks again. Thanks again. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.